This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Anthony J. Resta, and we are here today with one of my favorite music people in the business. We go way back in Boston. We have Blue here, record producer, musician, songwriter, composer. I mean, like all A-list stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm just so proud of you and excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah. And, and um, you know, every once in a while we kind of catch up on Instagram or via text or whatever. But yeah. I'm glad that we actually get to like see each other in person and hang out. <laughs> it's it's so cool to have you here. And I think, I mean, I've been in LA 10 years. How long have you been out here in Los Angeles? Longer than 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, um, let's see, it was like, uh, 07. Okay. So yeah. You're about five years more than I am. Yeah, here. exactly. Well, I, I just, I, I, where the story starts for me is, you know, we, we've had a lot of mutual uh, friends in the music business and we've worked with artists at the same time and separately and there was a song that came up i don't know how many years ago it was 2018 19 it's called symphony that was one of your solo tracks and it literally just i just it dropped me in my in my tracks i was like i was so blown away by every aspect of it like the the composition the the, the form the, the instrumentation the orchestration though and i mean i'm going to be honest with you i heard it and it was in some ways, a little bit devastating because I almost felt like in the movie Mozart, you know, when Amadeus Mozart, that guy, Salerni guy, how he felt when he heard like Mozart stuff. That's how I felt, man. I was absolutely crushed. I'm like, this dude is like, on, you are on a different plane. Like, tell me about that track and we'll just start. Uh, actually, let's just listen to that. And then we'll, we'll go from there. I had to start there because that's where I reconnected with you. Well, I'm very flattered. Thank you. Um, but yeah, do, you, yeah, you want me to actually play it? Yeah. Okay, great. By the way, it's technically called I Want to Write You a Symphony. 
Well, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> you a symphony replete with cannon and timpani all four movements in different keys then maybe you'd see me differently stop it there <laughs> okay man i i could do a whole podcast just on that song i mean like how did this come to you i mean just tell me a little bit about your process because people are really interested in under the hood kind of stuff how did how did that happen <laughs> well i have been interested in what i would say to the layman i would i would call musical onomatopoeia for a long time but but really the the technical term is prosody um, the, the connection between what's happening in a production or an arrangement and the lyric. Yeah. Um, that's something that I would say I'm just, um, I has been of interest to me like since I was a teenager Okay. or, or maybe even earlier, um, certainly earlier on a subconscious level. Yeah. So I've experimented with this many times over the years um I, I remember one of the first times where i was really decided to go all all out for it was with this band air traffic controller yep. wonderful boston band that i produced a bunch of records for and they have a song called bad axe michigan okay that's a incredible song but um written by their incredible songwriter dave monroe um but it it's one of those songs that just is a true life story but also feels like a true life story like you get it like the details are all there in the lyrics yeah. and everything in the song is 100% true and real but but um you know IRL as the kids say but but it feels like that even if it wasn't it still feels like that and i was like i want to I know it's crazy, but I want to go like full tilt on this and like take every single lyric of the song. And I think I actually used the the term production or musical onomatopoeia. Um, and and, you know, Ducky was the engineer and, and mixer on that record. And, and I knew he'd be up for it. And um, I 
it took a little convincing, but Dave Monroe eventually like gave in. And then once we started doing it, he kind of got it. So this was, I, I want to write you a symphony. I will say it was one of those songs where I, I wrote it in like an hour, the whole thing, just on guitar in an hour and, or less. It might've been yeah. 45 minutes or something. I had the concept and it just kind of fell out. Yeah. And then I just kind of had sat on the work tape for a long time. And then I was like, oh, duh, like that's what I have to do. And then I will say after that point, it almost became easy because you're just carving up each lyric and treating it as its, <laughs> as its own like little moment of really severe prosody, yeah. I would say, you yeah. know, kind of al almost ridiculous prosody where it's like if we're talking about a symphony you're gonna hear a symphony if yeah. you're talking about timpani and yep. canon you're gonna hear that if we're talking about a country a pop song whatever it happens to be um every little moment so then to again like it's almost like it's like doing um i don't know casting or location scouting or something in a movie it's like it's like you've already done half the work just conceptualizing it you've already done half the work then you just have to you know make sure all the moments are working and stitch together but nobody's expecting it to like hold together as this whole it's thing you know it's a miracle in a way to me that it it does hang together so sonically well because it's like it it, it is absurd at times and i just imagine you working on a timeline like how do you leave enough space for each little bit is it did you do two bar or four bar things like is there any formula or is it just all this kind of free form it really was dictated entirely by the lyrics and and um i am i would say as a producer um that is always my primary guide yeah um and not everybody works that way and that's I, I'm very open to all of the different working methodologies. Sure. But that's just one that I happen to appreciate. You know, lyrics are very central to my um, connection yep. with a song. And um, I was actually saying this to one of my favorite co-writers, um, Brooke Tomlinson, recently. And she had played me something and I was like, and she's like, it's, it's, the mix isn't done and stuff like that. So, you know, don't judge that. And I'm like, don't worry, no problem. And then she's like, what'd you think? And I was like, well, I, I had a little bit of trouble understanding all of the lyrics in that mix. So it's difficult for me to evaluate and we'll always be, you know, like working. And she's like, well, what do you think of this melody? And I'm like, um, I cannot evaluate a melody fully until there is a lyric attached <laughs> and that yeah. and that's just who i am you know and the way that i kind of look and approach at things so for me that's just all i did i'm yeah. like every every chunk of that song is gonna be this like ridiculous moment so for as long as that lyric is happening the the music and arrangement are going are going to dictate what happens you know i feel the same way about how lyrics then in uh, interplay with the with the music and i mean i've never done it so um like that like the way you're describing it's actually makes me think a little bit differently about like it might be fun to try sometime you know but um i do feel like that's one of the things I work with people in pre-production is just making sure that like the story just there's not a lot of cliches or if they're the cliches they they just work you know some cliches work but it's it's that song doctoring part 
is is really important before you even start recording and i think that's what people are here to learn about like the process like the way we used to make records was you'd be in a sweaty band room you know for for a couple of days and you're saying to the the drummer like uh, no boom ch- boom boom not you know you know what i mean it's like yeah. and and i mean i've we have both done that which is not an experience that um any you know a, a producer i would say who's even started five years after i did yeah would have never had that experience i was right on right at the cusp of um you know having that kind of experience and i i found that to be incredibly you know important of course now i've completely shifted my working (laughs) methodology because of the technology and the way that the industry has shifted and that's you know totally fine too but yeah it was a wonderful time you know and it was to see things transform in real time with people all together it's it's a human experience and everybody gets excited and everybody goes out for a beer and like then you get in the studio and you know it's it's, we were all two-inch analog tape so it was you know you were editing we were editing two-inch analog tape drum tracks and it was everything was just a process that's so completely different i i've told this story a few times but like when i first time i saw somebody was jim lightman at metropolis working with pro tools and he's moving snare hits around and i'm like why don't you just get a different drummer right (laughs) i said this is never because we don't have to (laughs) (laughs) I, i said this is never gonna catch on i will tell you the first time i like i had seen pro tools before this because they had pro tools rigs at berkeley yeah they were in like little labs they were not in the, the studios at all. Um, I went to Berkeley College of Music just to kind of backtrack there for uh, people uh, may not know that. And, um, and you know, this was in the late 90s to date myself a little bit. Actually, really, it was in the, the mid 90s. It's okay. I like to say the late 90s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I do that too. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, the, the first time I really had an experience with Pro Tools was with Ducky Carlisle. Yeah. And he had his version. I think maybe there was a version of Pro Tools that had more tracks, but he had the version of Pro Tools that had four tracks. Okay. And um, and that may have actually been the most advanced at the time. version at that time. And um, I he did not have an automated mixing board, so we would mix each section of the song and separate totally separately we'd mix the verses and then get ready and then mix the choruses and so on and so forth and then he would assemble it all in in pro tools wow and like to say that i had an epiphany doesn't even quite like capture it it melted my mind yeah like just that technology that like and 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 it sounds so unbelievably simplistic and and rudimentary now and it is but um we take it for granted now yeah but that that was like incredible and i i had never been really introduced to that concept at all yeah um and and like when i i i remember seeing him make the crossfade yeah. In Pro Tools, and I can still picture it, and where the computer was, and everything, and being like, "What is that?" and 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 he and he explained it to me, and then showed me what it would look like if it was happening on the piece of tape. I see. So that I was able to make the connection connection there, and I don't know. Anyway, it's was... that's just amazing, and that's that brings us to one of the main reasons that we decided that we should kind of do a 
uh, a duality type podcast together is to make sure we feature Ducky and tell us um, just uh, I don't even know where to begin. He he passed recently and, and he was just so loved by so many people. And we th- this is like important to me that we really kind of do, you know, a, a really good thing here with. So why don't you get me into how you guys met and and how, you know, what it was like working with Ducky? Well, you know, I'll just say that, like, to say he was an important person to me really does not cover it. I mean, he wasn't just like my older brother and my best friend. Um, You know, he was my first professional mentor um, like the story I just told you, like I, I was a very precocious kid. I, I, I didn't want to just make records. I wanted to know how they were made. Yeah. And he was a person who was willing to like hold my hand through that journey, but not as some stuffy older expert person yeah. as a like colleague and a, and a best friend. And he was the best man at my wedding. Man. You know, I mean, he he was absolutely like one of the, if not the most important, you know, influence in, in my entire life. I still. Uh, it's, it's hard. No, I don't. I'm at a loss for words because I, I know you are, too. Um, sonically, the guy was just I mean, I don't know him that well as a person, but just like what he did with sound. And and I mean, he just. He was like, yeah, you know, he was he was like the top of the tops with what he did. Well, while while I um compose myself here for a second, um you told me a story after he passed and I want you to tell that story cuz okay. that is like him to a T. Wow. And, and I, I think how he, like, why he had such a profound influence on so many people's lives. Well, he, you know, it was, I'm, I'm going to really date myself now, but it was, it was around like 1989 and Dale Bosio was auditioning drummers and she had a two day drum audition thing at the channel in Boston. And, um, you know, he ended up being the monitor and PA guy. So we went into the channel, it's closed. You remember the channel is giant place. And, um, so, you know, it was my turn to, to, to do a sound check and play or whatever. And honest to God, like the, the monitor mix was so incredible. I'd never heard anything like it. It was like I was inside the, the, it was like I was inside the record, you know, and I had been practicing the best of pis- missing persons for two weeks. So I knew it like cold. I had really detailed charts and I just, it was, I never played as good as I did on that day ever again, <laughs> but I just nailed it. And he was just and the way he, he he was so excited, and he came up to me, he's like, "Man, that's unbelievable! Wow, that's great!" And I said, "Well, your monitor mix made it possible. I'm thank you so much." And and he's like, "Well, you know, good luck, and you know, see you tomorrow." And then we, you know, the next day we came back, and he just was like, you could just tell he was rooting for me. It was just like, and he didn't know me, but he was just he's this inviting, warm, friendly. I mean, it just it's crazy, you know. And that was my first experience with him i had no idea who he was and then i learned that he had you know was kind of a legend already back then yeah yeah um he so many people i i told you this after you initially told me that story so many people had that experience and described him that way as a really genuinely encouraging person and certainly that was my experience with him when i met him and it gives you the confidence 
um, to like that that person sort of believe genuinely believes in you it 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 can really change the course of your life because you're like oh well if he thinks i'm good then like maybe i can really do this you know or whatever <laughs> i mean how important is that i mean and we all as artists you know we're all fragile and we're all we all have self-doubt and we all deal with all you know so insecurities and stuff to have somebody like that be your mentor i mean what a wonderful experience i mean how many years did you guys work side by side i mean it's it's a long time yeah i mean um basically 97 98 is, yep. is when we met yeah um and really never stopped yeah <laughs> doing stuff together unbelievable that entire time i'm gonna get a beverage okay just yeah that's yeah it's gonna help me I, yeah. I actually brought stuff no i think i think it's kind of important you know part of it's kind of important you know just the, yeah, the, no, the totally. effect that it had on you youngster like watching oh him God. work i was such a douche too and the fact that he you know like didn't care i don't he the things that were important to him were you know often i think he was able to easily see beyond a lot of people's like common flaws too <laughs> yeah you know what i mean wow <laughs> which uh you know he had his own issues and his own flaws and i think he kind of like into intrinsically sort of understood that everybody's like that and you know he he would often you know like I, he was a complicated guy i don't want to paint you know too yeah. rosy of a picture here but but at least in my experience you know looking back on who i was then i'm like thank god he was there to like be my older brother and help me navigate because i'm not sure anybody else would have again it changed i'm sure it changed the course of your life i mean like you have, have done these huge amazing things and it's like he was a part of all that i mean you know and uh it's it's very very uh emotional uh, I'm, I'm i'm feeling it and i'm like on the outskirts so um you know, we have a couple of clients that I've worked with over the years, and John Cordulis and um, Minky Starshine. We worked on records, and I remember just sending like you know just a drum track to Ducky, and then hearing the mix going like, "What? How does he do that?" I mean, tell us a little bit about his analog manipulation or of sound. Like, um, did he still use tape a lot? No, no, he was done. And I think people would be very surprised to hear that, yeah, because it has. He was an early adopter of Pro Tools, as I already said. Yeah. And so um, by the time, well, like when, when I made my major label debut, Redhead, just to tell a short story about that, um, I I had, I had wanted to produce it myself, you know, or co-produce it with Ducky and have him engineer. Yep. And they're basically like, nope, that's not going to happen. <laughs> And, and so I'm like, okay, well, I will like sort of go around and meet different producers and, and, you know, sort of audition producers and we'll choose a producer. But like, I want to make the record in Boston at Ducky's where I made my first record because Ducky has to be a part of this record. And they finally conceded. And I think that's where Ducky and I's closeness really grew too. I, I, I never considered that he wouldn't be primarily involved in that record even though the label was kind of like what I, no <laughs> you know and so on that record oh, how am i doing is that it's okay is it really okay it's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I hope so. No, it's um, fine. S- send me the bill. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> um, but so John Fields is the producer that yep. we ended up working with on on that record, and I'm he's massive. Did, I've met him; he's great, and he's he's an, an, an incredible producer. And you know, I still talk to him this day to to this day, I should say. And we did lots of stuff after that. Uh, he's awesome, but um, he brought his whole Pro Tools rig and, you know, this massive flight case, yeah, um, which you had to at that time to do sure. it. And, and I think Ducky, although he was already familiar with Pro Tools, that was the first time I think he sort of witnessed firsthand an entire record being made on Pro Tools. And he was like, okay, I'm doing that now. That's you know, it. And then he, so then he really started to make the transition. So honestly, he was an early adopter, but he never stopped thinking of engineering and record making even though i think he trans transitioned to being a hundred percent in the box as we call it sure. meaning fully inside of the daw pro tools in his case um like way before many of his peers did he he had adopted that his mentality was still an analog mentality and you absolutely cannot um dismiss his ears yeah everything that he did was really started with listening so i think because of that he was able to make that transition and still have the records sound very similar because the thing that he was most interested in was what he was hearing, not the, uh, even though he intimately understood all the technical aspects, <laughs> um, you know, down really to the minute engineering level um, and, you know, even component level, uh, you know, uh, honestly, um, that wasn't his philosophy of making records. You know, it wasn't about what the gear was or what the chain was. It was about what you heard back. So, yeah. and he knew the way that he wanted things to sound. So, you know, like when he made that transition, things still sounded pretty similar, even if he was, you know, it was like there was a lot more plugins involved and so on and so forth. Incredible. I mean, and it says a lot for you to be loyal to him in that way. Um, you know, this business is tough and, there's a lot of pressures and a lot of times artists get into a situation with a label or, or whatever and it's really hard to to bring along somebody i mean it's almost unheard of and there's i mean there's loyalty is very a little bit rare and that says a lot for for about you and and about what you thought about his role in in your music and i think that like you said that solidified a long-term thing because you went to bat you know that's admirable you know yeah well i mean i f- i felt like he had done that for me before then and then you know and uh, i mean i i in my opinion he had done that like he had really taken the time to you know basically right away he was like you're my guy i like you you know (laughs) so so, you know he he let me get away with shit yeah and and um and and help me out you know and when you know this is a person who's running a business here and yet was like let me um sort of yep do 
free sessions and not pay right away. Whatever all the things yeah. were that like allowed me to like to grow, grow and work with him more. And also, obviously, took the time to like answer my questions, which I was asking constantly. So there really was no question for me. I mean, I, by the time it came to making those decisions with the label, um, I, like I already kind of considered him to be one of my best friends. So yep. like I wasn't, I was going to make every effort to like make that happen. Plus you sure. knew that sonically it was, it was important that he was part of your sound and that was not going to be right without him. So that's amazing. You know, could maybe we, could we play a song from that record? Is there something you really like on that that you'd like to play or is that too far back? Would you rather move up? Yeah, I guess I would because I I I knew that we were going to play some songs that he was involved with today. Yep. So I really kind of like thought about what I would want to play. Good. And the only reason why I might choose something else is because he didn't mix the record. You, you know what I mean? Sure. And yeah. I think there we later on we did projects where he was like hyper involved. Yeah. And the the thing that he was most involved in is a band that I was in very briefly for one record and one tour. The band is called The Major Labels, and it was me and Mike Viola and Ducky Carlisle. Okay. And um, people who only kind of know about Ducky from one angle may not know that he was an insane drummer. Incredible drummer. I did not know that. In addition to being like an amazing engineer, an amazing mixer, co-producer, like encourager of fresh talent and all that, um he th those who like really know him or know him from other sides of of the um you know, local Boston scene and stuff like that know that he truly was an incredible drummer. So he was the drummer and also co-wrote many of the songs in that band. Oh cool. I'd love to hear one of those. Yeah, um, uh, he was actually, even he had a very unusual voice, he was a great singer, too. And he had, like, kind of great pitch. So I'm going to play one one song from that record. Um, Yay. Um, but I'm going to I'm gonna play a little bit of the song called The Bitter Pill because, I mean, he played drums on all the songs that have drums okay. on the record. But on this song, he sings, like he has his own little moment where okay. he sings. Oh, wow. Um, and it's super fun. So it's like me and Viola and, and Ducky all kind of like get our little moment. It's oh, called, cool. It's called The Bitter Pill.
podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Absolutely incredible. I'm just so blown away. It's got elements of like Todd Rundgren, ELO, I mean all this amazing music. I'm blown away. So that that song actually we we had all we made a lot of the record like in this short period of time and like wrote we were trying to write and record songs like all in one day or be done with multiple writing and recording multiple songs within a day or a couple of days or whatever. And that one we all, all told each other our dreams that we had had last night. You know, the previous night when yeah. we woke up in the morning, because um, we were all staying at Ducky's house where his studio was at that time. Um, and we just all had these like really sort of random, bizarre dreams. So each verse, it, I see, we're each taking a verse. And for each one of us, it's the dream that we had had the previous night. <laughs> it's amazing. And there's like a little progressive element to it. Whenever you did that, bum, 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 there was like a little like turnaround where the beat gets turned around. Yeah. So he obviously understood m- meter uh, and there's two, four bars. And it's like, it's, it's intimately, but you know, the Beatles did that all the time. Yeah. So like, and he was a Beatles yeah. obsessive and collector and all that stuff. So, you know, it's not, Oh, somebody's knocking. <laughs> Sorry. We're doing a podcast. Yeah, good to see you. Howie Weinberg is a guest on Studio Secrets A to Z. Nice. He's going to be an upcoming uh, guest anyway. So, but that's hilarious. So, like, we, now there are we were talking about the progressive nature of the some of the meters and stuff that 
Ducky totally, was- yeah. I mean, he got all that stuff because so, I think he came to that through, you know, the Beatles. And I, I think, I think people, I don't know, like the layman, so to speak, doesn't really think of the Beatles in that term. But they, they were constantly doing all kinds of stuff that I think now we would describe as proggy you know odd time signatures cutting beats cutting bars changing tempos you know whatever you name it and it's funny like knowing him as a drummer like my story about you know my drum audition at the channel has a whole different feeling to it 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 really it freaks me out even more because yeah he was coming to you with that like as a drummer i had no idea yes absolutely till this moment I had no idea. That's... I, he honestly, he's very, very respected drummer. Yeah, I get some Bonham in his feel too. I mean, it's just amazing feel. Uh, Bunny was definitely one of his heroes, but he also loved um, New Orleans. Uh, I mean, Little Feet. A- NRBQ was probably his favorite. You know, like in in, in terms of groove and all that. The NRBQ um, has that thing that's in between a straight and a shuffle that actually hurts your brain but it's so incredible you know what i'm talking about oh both me and ducky are super super into that like line between those two things and there, there's actually a lot of you know examples of that that i think people can grasp onto have have are you familiar with the super mario brothers theme yes so it is, and that's obviously all all programmed. So yeah. there's there's no yeah. there's no swing programming, but that is one hundred percent shuffle against straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the whole main theme of that song is shuffle against straight, and it's when you think of it in those terms, go back and listen to I it. I will. I will. It's it will melt your face because you're like, oh, this is like. Because, you know, the, I feel like the Elvis rhythm section was, like, doing that all the time, where sure. half the guys were swinging and half the guys yeah. weren't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's just how they... and it, But it came together to make something, you know, sort of... Uh, what's the word? Like, kind of, a, like, uh, just alive and yeah. groovy and, like, you know... It's angular too. I mean, and now I see like on Instagram, it's become like a fashion. Like a lot of people like are playing with negative swing factors with their NPCs and doing that thing to the point where sometimes it it's absolutely so obnoxious. It's like it, it hurts my head, and I have to fast forward. But every now and then, you come to somebody who's like who gets it, and it's like that in between straight and swing thing. It's just it's a kind of a fad now. It's like it's. It, I love that people are really exploring. You know. I love I I've I've never like if if I'm doing a swung song in particular like or more likely their shuffles really to to be technical about it always got to have a straight fill in there and not as often vice versa but often vice versa too if I if I'm doing a totally straight song I'm like we got to get a Ringo fill in there you know um yeah I'll play um I'll play a song that that I I love. It's one of my favorite songs on the record, but it also features his voice, and and this will really give you an idea of what he was capable of. So, um, this was recorded live, which we did a few songs on the record that oh, way. Oh wow! Um, but it's just I think it just is one or two acoustic guitars, and then all of us singing. 
and um, you actually hear. So we recorded it in his stairwell in his house because he had mics there. Oh wow! And I loved the sound of pretty much everything that you you would put. But those were our like far room mics for the drums, okay, which were in the living room, and I mean, incredible, like um, you know, real reverb coming into those uh, you know stereo it's like mics a chamber. in that stairwell, yeah. exactly. Um, but, um, in this case, we just like recorded it on the stairs. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, but, but all the vocal, everything's live. It's just it's stereo mics, but that's, that was kind of the other side of Ducky, even though he was this incredible engineer, he was also like, no, nah, that's, that's the thing. That's what we should do for the, just to, just the two stereo mics. We'll just stand in the stairwell and sing the song. <laughs> So you can hear him. He's got a vision, yeah. Singing at the end, and and you know it's all of us singing live, and it's not perfect, but you know, cool. This song, um, we had written a song called "Something to Cry About," yeah, and uh, ended up sort of not really being enamored with it. So, but we sort of were sad that we were. We f- felt like we needed to let that song go. So we wrote a song about that. <laughs> so this song is called Ode to Something to Cry About. <laughs> That's great. That's him slamming the doors, and walking upstairs. Wonderful. There was this one song, one out of ten. time i laughed and cried at the same time i mean that really just messed me up i'm sorry that's just beautiful thanks man um i like to write songs about songs (laughs) (laughs) that is it's it's so beautiful and and so sad and so funny at the same time how's that possible it's just like i don't know it's really messed my head up i mean Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I I appreciate that C- coming from you. That that really yeah. means a lot. And and I I think we've all had that experience. Yeah. Where it was like 
fuck, man. I <laughs> like like I'm so mad that that didn't turn out because like why didn't it come out? Why didn't that song turn out good? You know, like I don't it had all the elements, but they just like didn't come together, but <laughs> That's know? insane. I mean, just so beautiful. And here comes a geeky question. You wouldn't remember what the stereo mic setup was. What what did he use like for something like that? 414s or what was it? Do you remember? Dude. <laughs> it was a road stereo mic you remember for like field recording okay wow not an expensive like mic you know it was a like an active uh you know road like stereo mic that you had to like you know that's insane put batteries in yeah wow again he he was always an ears first person yep and he's like, you know what? I'll just, like, I got this cheap mic. I'll just put that up there. It'll sound great. And we'll see. Yeah. And, but it did. It sounded great in that context. And it got used all the time. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. 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 So, guys, this is going to wrap up the first half of the Blue interview. And we'll jump right into part two next week. Please like, subscribe. Uh, everywhere, Apple Music, Spotify, or on our website, Studio Secrets A to Z. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll jump into part two next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.